So, all right, before I start this, I wanted to just talk a little bit. And um, the reason for that, uh, talk about this particular series that we're going to be starting now. And it's on church membership. And there, <laughs> there's a good possibility that there will be aspects of this that might prick you a little bit. Not everybody, you know, and not all of it. But there may be some things that you're like, ooh, I didn't really like that so much. Um, I haven't even started, Bays. Come on, give me a break. Um, now, with that said, the reason that I really feel like the, this, it's the time to do something like this is because, as I've hinted at maybe or even said before, I really believe that this is the year that God is calling this entire church to a different place. Okay? And I think, uh, I think you're going to start seeing an influx of people coming in. I think we're going to start to see more um, people get saved. I think we're going to experience more of God's presence. And this is part of it, okay? This really understanding and having a truly a biblical understanding of church membership is important to that, all right? So, you know, please listen with an open mind and open heart as we go through this. I'm not, you know, I, I hope I'm not over, being overly negative with this because there, there are many people here who are abiding by a lot of what is, you know, what I'm going to say. But there may be a thing or two where we've gotten a little off track. And so the whole idea behind this is to call us together as a church and as a church family so that we really understand what it means to be a church family. Okay? All right. <clears throat> so let's, let's dive in. Well, actually, let's pray first. Father God, I thank you for this message and for what it means. I, uh, I thank you so much that you are calling us to, to greater things. And so we lift this time before you. I, I just praise you, Father, and look forward to what it is that you will do through us. And I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, from roughly about 1987 through around 1996, with a small break in that period for about nine months, the American Express Company ran this advertising campaign called Membership Has Its Privileges. Do you all remember that? Um, they ran for, uh, like I said, a number of years, and it typically portrayed people in, a, <clears throat> excuse me, in some sort of a situation that was troubling that the American Express card could help them get out of. All right, so I, I found an old ad um, that demonstrated this. So this is an ad, it's an example of, of, of this, where, and it shows a father who's desperately trying to get home. Research showed us that most of the business on Route 4... Inside, you've got a total alteration of the building. I don't plan. think the board could ever recommend Much that. discussion. Mm -hmm. Did we go on this one, Dwight? Right. Um, excuse me, Richard's schedule is rather tight today. He has another presentation. I do have flight 139 leaving in 20 minutes, but only in first class. I'll take it. Okay, they're calling my flight. I'll be there.
much. You know, it just started. Isn't she beautiful? Where is she? The second potted plant from the left. Coming through when you need it most. Membership has its privileges. He definitely needs to be home more. <laughs> Which one is my daughter? So if you don't know, Amex is different than a lot of credit cards because you have to pay a fee, right? You, you can't, they don't just send it to you. You have to actually pay a membership fee. And, but you don't, um, well, you do, you have to pay interest on that, but it's somewhat reduced, and there are other benefits to it. So their whole focus of their advertising is on this idea that um, you are more than just a card member or a card holder, you are a member, right? And that as a member, you have privileges. Privileges that come with membership. And so you, you really could kind of think of this as trying to portray uh, what I would call a country club mentality, okay? So it's very similar. When you join a country club, there we go, um, you pay an initiation fee, and you pay your monthly dues, but in return for that, you get all of these uh, privileges. You get to swim, you get to play golf, you get to play tennis. Uh, there's usually dining, you know, pretty fine dining, a lot of activities, and really above all, excellent service. You know, they try to remember your name and you know call you by name when you come in at the really, really nice ones. And so the whole idea is that membership has its perks, okay? Membership means everyone's going to serve me. It's great. It's, yeah, because as Pam says, it is all about me. <laughs> <laughs> so I just pay the going rate, whatever that is, and others take care of me, and I enjoy a life of leisure. It's a pretty good deal. Except... This country club understanding of church membership is kind of a problem because it's what a lot of people sort of understand church membership to be. And so when you have this as the mind frame that, you know, you're thinking church membership is kind of like country club membership. So you end up with comments like these. This is my church, so you have to play the music just as I want it. Or, look, pastor, you have to remember who pays your salary. Or, if you don't do this program, I'll withhold my check to the church. Or, I've been a member of this church for over 30 years, so I have a right to get what I want. Elaine, you got 22 years before you can say that. <laughs> so hang in there. Then this one's my favorite. I don't pay good money to the church to listen to sermons that long. Now, unfortunately, these are not atypical comments that you would hear, and they come from churches that have an unbiblical view of membership. Their view of church membership is more aligned with a country club, okay? So if someone has this mindset, 
then membership is more about receiving than it is about giving. It's more about being served than serving. It's more about rights instead of responsibilities. And it's more about entitlement rather than sacrifice. And so this wrongful view of church membership sees you know, tithes and offerings, for example, just as membership dues. So I pay my tithes and offerings, it's my membership dues, and so that entitles me to this never-ending list of privileges and expectations rather than seeing tithes and offerings as an unconditional, cheerful gift to God. So it's probably a good thing at this point, after having defined what this whole country club mentality looks like, to ask, well, what's the Bible say? Because that's our authority. So what does the Bible say about church membership? And actually, it says quite a lot. And one of the things that it says is that we are supposed to be functioning church members. So how does it tell us to do that? How are we to be functioning church members? Well, I think, first of all, it's about understanding that you're a necessary part of the whole. That you're a necessary part of the whole. And there are a number of places in the New Testament where we sort of see this clear picture of what church membership is. And probably one of the biggest, most voluminous sections is in 1 Corinthians. Really from chapter 12 through chapter 14 is all about church membership. Now a lot of people don't think of it that way, but that's really what Paul's talking about. So in in chapter 12, he is explaining with a metaphor of the church about having a body with many members. That's what he's talking about in 12. In 13, he then elaborates on that and he talks about love being the central element that's got to be the glue that holds all of that together. And then in 14, he kind of goes back to talking to this messed up church at Corinth that's gotten this whole thing all screwed up that he's trying to fix, okay? So, We've come to a point, I think, where there are some church members and even some leaders, they view this idea of membership as not biblical, that it's more like a corporate thing or uh, some sort of an organizational concept that we've now taken out of the culture and we've applied it to churches. And so they say, well, yeah, we we don't have membership, that sort of thing. But the fact is, it's exactly the opposite. It's a very, very biblical concept. And so the thing is that the Bible explains this idea of membership much differently than what secular culture defines it as. So for example, if we were to look at the term members in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says, uh, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Do you see the difference? Members of the church comprise the whole, and they're essential parts of it. The Apostle Paul carries this body metaphor even further in that chapter. And he explains that members are the individual parts of the body. Some are eyes, some are ears, some are feet, others are hands. And so that's why he says, for just as the body is one, 
and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So he's really affirming this idea that um, we are all part of one entire thing, and we are all members of it. Secondly, <clears throat> we are to be functioning church members by working together with others despite differences. See, with a country club membership, you just get to pay your dues, and everybody, all those people, then serve you. You pay others to do the work for you. But with church membership, everybody has a role and a function. That's why he talks about that some are hands and feet and eyes and ears. We're all different, but we're all necessary. And so each part has a job to do, and if that job is not done, then the whole body suffers. <clears throat> There's a beautiful diversity that's sort of in the midst of unity in, in, in true church membership. And, and the body just does not function well if some part of it is not doing its job. <clears throat> but if one part does its job well, then the whole body rejoices and is stronger. As he says, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. You can also, you can, continuing on this theme, you can be a functioning church member by always building on the biblical foundation of love. Now, if you've spent any time at the Bible, in the Bible at all, or if you've ever gone to a wedding, there's a pretty good chance you've heard either some or all of 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter, right? And it's read very, very often at weddings. It's typically used for a husband to declare his love to his wife or vice versa. It's, it's preached to demonstrate a fuller meaning of love, this, this, this godly love we refer to as agape or unconditional love that, that God has for us. And, and there's nothing wrong with reading it in that context. But that was not its original intention, or its original meaning, or its original context. Its original meaning was to demonstrate how church members are to relate to one another. See, that's why, you know, if you think of it as this, this chapter or these verses that are to be read at weddings or just to express love, then it looks completely out of place where it is, because it's between 12 and 14 which are talking about church membership, and you would be like, well, now why did Paul put that there? Well, he put it there because it's part of his whole dialogue. And he's saying that, you know, if we don't have love as a body, then we're going to have problems. Can you imagine in the middle of, you know, this horribly acrimonious church meeting, you know, where people are mad and they're griping at each other, if someone stood up and read 1 Corinthians 13, 
I mean, in its, in its full biblical context, that would probably be the absolute best place to read it. And see, if, if we could just abide by the principles in, in 1 Corinthians 13 alone, we would have completely healthy churches. I really think so. I mean, it would be like a revolution. So let's, let me look for a minute at just some of these principles that 1 Corinthians 13 points out. It starts off by saying love is patient and love is kind. Now, I want to stop there because what you may or may not have realized is that's where those are the only two things that it says love is in this list. Everything else love is not. But love is patient and kind. And those are first above everything else. And then it goes on to say that love is not conceited. Love does not act improperly. Love is not selfish. Love is not provoked. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. The principles in these couple of verses alone could probably cause a revival in a lot of churches. See, we're not to love our fellow church members just because they're lovable. And I mean, we all know we are. <laughs> but we're to love the unlovable as well. We're not to pray for and, and encourage pastors just when they do things we like. We're to pray for and encourage them when they do things we don't like. We're not to serve the church only when others are joining in in serving the church. We're to serve the church even if we're the only one doing it. See, church membership is founded on love. Authentic, biblical, unconditional love. And then finally, you can be a functioning church member by choosing to approach church membership biblically. So how do you remain a member of a country club? You pay your dues, exactly. You pay your dues and you do that and people are always going to be available to serve you. Now, how do you remain a biblical member of the church? Give abundantly and serve without hesitation. The emphasized word here is biblical. Now, you can remain on the rolls of many churches and, and really never show up or give. And they'll just keep you on the roll. You'll be a member of that church for a very long time. You can remain an active member in a lot of churches by being a, a CEO Christian. Christmas and Easter only. <laughs> CEO, get it? You can even be a revered member in a number of churches by giving, you know, a really nice sum to the church each year, even though you never lift a finger in service or ministry. But it's important that you understand this is not biblical church membership. 
that approach to membership is man-made, man-centered, and man-maintained. It's totally contrary to what the Bible teaches. And it has no place in our churches. Biblical church membership gives without qualifications. They view, if you are a biblical church member, then you, you see tithes and offerings as a joyous opportunity. Joyous giving. There's no strings attached. A biblical church member serves and ministers just as a natural way of doing things. It's functioning church membership. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12 again, just so that I, you know, we really kind of understand this. So Paul uses this metaphor as the bo- of the body to talk about church members, as I've said. And I think there probably were two primary reasons he did this. First of all, the body's a unified whole. And so likewise, the church is supposed to be unified in its mission, in its purposes, in its ministries, and in its activities. And second, the body is is not only unified, but it's made up of a lot of different parts. And so if we thought about the parts that Paul mentions in um, 1226, he talks about the foot, the hand, the ear, the eye, and the nose, at least indirectly, because he refers to a sense of smell. Okay? Each of these parts is supposed to function. Okay? Foot is supposed to walk. The hand is supposed to hold and grasp. The ear is supposed to hear things. The eye is to, supposed to see. The nose is to smell. We're supposed to be church members who function in the church. The concept of an inactive church member is an oxymoron, according to Paul. There's no such thing. And that's the reason why he goes on in 14 to really exhort us to know what our gifts are, right? Because if we know what our gifts are, then we can use them to best serve the church for the glory of God, not for the glory of me or you or anybody. And so the fact that we have so many different giftings is a strength. It's a strength. And so... Everyone has a function. Everyone should be functioning. Everyone should have a role. A hand that doesn't do anything is, what, useless at best? Annoying? (laughs) You know, or whatever. And so, you know, and this is where it gets tricky. You can't look at someone else and say, well, I can't do what they do. Well, okay. But if that's not what God gifted you to be able to do, then that's not even a logical way to look at it. Because you're gifted specifically for, you know, whatever it is that God would like you to do. I had um, 
someone send me an email not too long ago that said, I have this gift of administration. How can I help? I was like, wow. That's great. And you better believe I'm going to find something <laughs> for that person to do. Because that's, just, that's wonderful. Uh, but it's someone who kind of knew this is a strength of mine. And so how can I use this gift that I have to serve the church? That's exactly what we're talking about. You should never ask yourself if you should be serving the church. You should ask yourself, how can I be serving the church? If you're a member, you've got to be a functioning church member. It's just that simple. Julie and Bob Clark were stunned to receive a letter from their church one July asking them to participate in the life of the church or worship elsewhere. They basically called us freeloaders, said Julie. We were freeloaders, said Bob. <laughs> In a trend that may signal rough times for wallflower Christians, Bellwether Megachurch Faith Community of Winston-Salem has asked non-participating members to stop attending. No more Mr. Nice Church says the executive pastor newly hired from Singular Wireless. <laughs> Bigger is not always better. Providing free services indefinitely to complacent Christians is not our mission. Freeloading Christians were straining the church's nursery and facility resources and harming the church's ability to reach the lost, says the pastor. When your bottom line is saving souls, you get impatient with people who interfere with that goal. Faith Community sent polite but firm letters to families who attended church services and freebie events, but never volunteer, never tithe, and do not belong to a small group or other ministry. The church estimates that of its 8,000 regular attenders, only half have volunteered in the past three years and a third have never given to the church. Before now, we made people feel comfortable and welcome and tried to coax them to give a little something in return, says a staff member. That's changed. We're done being the community nanny. <laughs> Surprisingly, the move to disinvite people has drawn a positive response from the men in the community who like the idea of an in-your-face church. I thought, a church that doesn't allow wussies, that rocks, <laughs> says Bob Clark, who admires the church more since they told him to get lost. <laughs> now, first thing you should know is that that is a piece of satire. There is no church like that in Winston-Salem. And none of this ever happened. And the second thing you should know is that our church will never send a letter like that to anybody. <laughs> but I want you to hold on to the feeling that you had when you thought the letter was real. 
and you thought that maybe you might get one like it someday. Because that's not a feeling of condemnation. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I personally want to see this church, Harmony Vineyard, reach its full potential. And that can only happen if everybody pitches in and becomes a functioning church member. Yes, I know you're busy. Yes, I know there are a lot of other things competing for your attention. But is everything that is currently getting your attention really as important as this? Because this book that we say we all believe in says it's a matter of life and death. Perhaps not for you. But what about all of the people that this church has a chance to reach but might not if it's not realizing its full potential? I need you. We need you. This community needs you to be a functioning church member. It really is just that simple. Amen? Now, I wanted to um, find out if you, if you received prayer and you got healed of something and would like to share that, we'll take a few minutes to just l give you a chance to maybe explain. You don't have to, but if you would like to, I'll just give you a mic and, and let you kind of share a testimony of what happened. And so I will ask, would anyone like to share? Mind coming up, please? And if you would, just tell us your name. First name is fine, and then just what was going on and, and how you feel now. Okay. Um, my name is Angie Mecha, and some of you I've met before and some of you I haven't. Um, I came here with a real heavy load on my heart this morning, so it wasn't really physical pain that I was feeling, but um, my family's going through a lot. And so this morning I was just thinking a lot about how my mother isn't talking to me right now, and it's just, it's very hurtful. But I really did feel like that, that shadow, that, um, that darkness, that heaviness was lifted mm. when you prayed for me, so thank you. And um, I'll take that with me from Great. here on out and not let that return, so thank you. Perfect, thank you for sharing. <laughs> Anybody else? Come on, Susan. Okay, so I'd had uh, pain in my left calf and knee for a couple of weeks, and uh, feels like phlebitis or something like that. It's starting to scare me. And I was going to ask for prayer today, so this worked out beautifully. <laughs> and um, uh, Maggie and Pam prayed for me, and during that time I felt an intense warmth 
and Pam had put her hand on my calf, and it feels a whole lot better. Very, I, I'm, I'm assuming I'm healed. I would agree. Praise God. Anybody else? Okay. Anybody who um, felt like you weren't completely healed at, when we finished praying, but you feel like you are now, where it kind of continued through the service? No? Okay. Well, thank you those, for those of you that shared. Um, we're we're going to keep doing things like this periodically and because uh, we want to just continue to stir the pot when it comes to God and, and what he's doing here. Um, so let's see. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention too, and this kind of goes back to the sermon, is that we're going to do something a little bit different with our small groups um, for the next six weeks. The small groups are going to focus on the content of the message. So as we're talking about church membership, then the following week at your small group, we're going to kind of continue the discussion and give you a chance to talk more about it, to ask some questions, and just kind of share how you feel about things and, and so forth. So uh, if you're not in a small group and you'd like to find one, you know, talk to me, uh, and I can get you pointed in the right direction. Um, so with that said, let's stand. And if I could have some, uh, some prayer people come down front. And so if, if you got prayer and you don't feel like you got completely healed of whatever it was that you were receiving prayer for, I just want to encourage you to come up and, and let somebody pray for you again. Because um, it doesn't always happen. It's not a one and done thing. There's no formula to it. Um, I heard a story this weekend that there was one instance where it was a fairly major affliction and they prayed on six separate occasions and on the sixth time it went away. And so, you know, we need to keep that in mind and know that, you know, it's not just if, it, if you pray for it once and it doesn't go away, that means, oh, well, I'm not going get, to get healed of this. It's not the case at all. Um, you know, we're, we're to persevere in this. And we're imperfect humans, and we don't always hear things right and do things exactly right. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's God's deal. And so we just need to keep asking. And we can't let our experiences dictate how we view this. Scripture is, is what we go back to. And Scripture says that God will heal. And so we believe in that and not so much in, in whether or not we experience it or not. So if you need prayer after I close, uh, please come up and, and receive some additional prayer. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for all of the healing that took place here, whether it was healing of a physical affliction or, feeling of, or healing of a, uh, a heart issue, whatever, Father. I just praise you that you love your children so much and wish to heal all of them. So, Father, I, I just bless what you're doing in this family of people, and I pray it would continue. Be with us as we go forth today and take what we have gotten here into the world. 
to understand that we are all to be ministers. We are all to serve. So show us when and where and how. And help us to use the gifts that you've given us to your glory and the greater service of man. So we give you praise and thanks. And we ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.